Hello, Hit Different Fam. Welcome to the foyer. Just drumming up the excitement, building the anticipation as we're about to enter the building. In fact, let's change it up. We are backstage. and We're about to go on and rock the fuck out of it with Courtney Barnett and Sophia Molly. We want to thank uh, Lookout Kid and Remote Control Records for giving us this accent. Courtney's a fascinating character in that she thinks fast and talks slow. If you think back to when she put out Lance Jr. in 2014, the first time I came across her music, her first ever lyric, I masturbated to the songs you wrote. I remember hearing that going, whoa, and stopped me dead in my tracks, stopped me dead in my thoughts. I immediately had to find out who this person was. Here we are, seven years later, Grammy-nominated, ARIA Award winner, AMP winner. She's kind of done it all, and she's still the most low-key cat out there, just you know, putting one foot in front of the other. She tells us today about nothing being off the table. She might even put out an ambient sort of instrumental record one day. What else? She weighs in on how important it is to get vaccinations before we can get this gig economy back up and running and how she would be happy to make all of her gigs. Uh, you know, you have to have the, the double vax passport. Um, I also, as a side note, really want to bring attention to someone called Ziggy Alberts, who's a Byron Bay uh, singer, songwriter, surfer, poet, who has done absolutely nothing. In fact, he's done the opposite. About 410 days ago now, he decided to weigh in on the fact that Melbournians and Victorians should not wear masks, and he linked it to being like Nazi Germany, which his uh, ancestors, grandparents had experienced this sort of, you know, this kind of draconian law. Um, fast forward to now, and I'm recording this on Sunday night, and unfortunately New South Wales have had their highest day of of COVID, have new cases of COVID, you know, we're, it's a shit show down here as well, we're up to 100 cases, so I really want Ziggy to, to um, use his power, use his influence, like a lot of other influencers are, and get the word out to 212,000 Instagram fans and 82,000 Facebook fans. I know he's probably, he thinks he's going to lose followers, and I understand that, but what does this man, you know, what, what's your legacy going to be? Going to be on the correct side of history? Have a think about that, Ziggy. I know your people are listening. Cool. All right. Also, stick around afterwards. We're doing a bonus episode with Corny. As I said, we got great access, kind of exclusive because she doesn't do a lot of podcasts. So we're pretty, uh, we're pretty jazzed that we've got her. I've got you. Uh, we will literally see you now. Welcome to Hit Different, my friends, your weekly music culture podcast with me, Mikey Carl, Sophia Molly. Say something, Sos. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And the Southport Slayer, the Milk Records player, none other than Courtney Barnett herself. Hi, Court. Hello. Thanks for a beautiful introduction there. No yeah. worries. No worries. Here <laughs> we are. We're here today Ew. chatting uh, with the powers of the internet, and we're going to rip through two uh, very topical topics, and then get right into uh, Courtney Barnett's career and this new record. Things that take a time, but take a time. So, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about some uh, Phoebe Bridges' action. So Phoebe's about to get back on the road, but she's she switched things up. She's heading outdoors instead of indoors. Very, very good. Uh, there's another new initiative, Hold Aussie Music, where... There's a bit of a push, a bit of a petition to use only Australian music for hold music, Qantas and all these other kind of uh, big corporations. Hopefully we can get that over the line. Also going to be sort of discussing whether that's the best use of our time. And the third thing is getting into Courtney Barnett's career, uh, a close friend of the show, 
Um, very, very honoured to have her on the show as well. And yeah, talking about this new record, which has just got this real nice spaciousness to it and uh, confidence to it. So we're going to be doing all that, but first you need to hear some sexy music. Wunderbar. Sos. Phoebe Bridges, you've got to yes. be an inside word on this one. Hit us. Phoebe is set to get back on the road, massive US tour. It's, um, you know, it's great times for, I feel, musicians in general in the States. I feel like they're really leading the charge when it comes to getting back on the road, getting back to normal. This week she's announced that she's moved her US tour basically to outdoor venues. So everything indoor is now moved outdoor, which when we think about it logistically would be a bit of a clusterfuck no matter what way you want to cut it. Like, who does that? But I guess it's it's just the way it has to go. So the tour is kicking off in mm. September, uh, continuing all the way through October. We're talking about amphitheatres now. We're talking about massive field kind of gigs. And dependent on some of the cities, concert goers are going to need to show proof of vaccination before they can even get in. So there's conversations and a lot of discourse online that I've been noticing in the last few days over whether or not people are still going to go to some of these shows. They feel like they need to be vaccinated, whether or not this is going to be a model many other artists are going to follow uh, to, to sort of ensure that these shows can go ahead successfully and safely. We've seen other artists who are starting to require proof. Um, International Touring, Maroon 5, The Killers, also notably Live Nation and AEG in the States. So two massive touring companies have now started to roll out their own rules um, for people to basically have their little vaccination passports to be able to get into shows. So what do we think about it? I mean, we're in Australia at the moment, so, I mean, (laughs) there's nothing fucking happening, right? (laughs) But do we think that... It's a sustainable model for now. Like, do do we think we kind of play the short game and just get the momentum of live touring back, or do we think that this could be a good long term strategy? <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, you know, I'm going to the states later this year, and I want to make my shows similar, like basically trying to make them as safe as possible for everybody attending and everybody working. Because I think, you know, I've spoken to lots of people in America, lots of friends who are back on the road already and they have, you know, it's such a such kind of strict COVID rules and they all have little COVID touring bubbles and it's, you know, it's kind of hard. Like they can't mingle with each other and it, it's a bit of a strange situation but it's keeping everyone safe and it's like if one person in the crew gets sick then the show might not even happen, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, everybody like remembering that it's all the vaccinations and stuff are keeping everybody else safe yeah, you know absolutely yeah i spoke mm. to a friend of mine uh, yesterday uh, jenny valentish great writer great thinker and she was saying over in england she says like most of her family have got covid the delta variant but they've all been vaccinated before it and they said it's just like sort of a one to two day mild hangover to get it and you sort of just, you know, sort of shake it off and, and off you go, which just shows how important it is for anyone listening who's still on the fence about getting vaccinated. I've had phone calls with two different musos this week who are still sort of, oh, I want to wait and see, or another friend of mine is worried that it's going to affect her eggs. I'm like, all of the science says get vaccinated. It's the best thing you can possibly do for the whole world and sort of thinking outside, you know, your own life, etc. It's, you know, 
it's, it's what's going to help us get back to, to some kind of normal. And, and as you say, Court, about you know touring over there, it's keeping things going. It's also keeping the lights on for a lot of bands to be able to tour and to be able to get some income from touring. Tell us a bit more, Sos, about the, the outdoor logistical nightmare of, of this whole thing because it sounds very sort of utopian and idealistic. Well, yeah. I mean, f- first of all, when you think about, again, kind of like what you were saying, Courtney, you know, when you've got bands who are travelling in a bubble, like expand that out to a full-blown production team, <laughs> trying to find a venue in each city of a national tour, especially one in a market as big as, you know, North America, it's not easy. And to do it, like, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm assuming that these plans have been going for, for Phoebe you know, a lot longer than what's just been announced. But still, I mean, the tour is kicking off ne- next month and now, you know, the, the goalposts are shifting. The logistical mind games and the puzzle work that goes into to trying to get people back to the things that they love has been a bit of a bumpy road. And this this is my issue. Well, it's not an issue I have with it, but it's something that I'm always thinking about now. You know, we've had almost a year and a half where the the music industry around the world has been decimated. We've seen so many posts from music fans being like, oh, you know, we just want to be at gigs again. Musicians just want to be at gigs again. And it's like, okay, but where's the where's the line of, like, what we'll do to be at gigs again? Mm-hmm. Like, it seems kind of simplistic. Get a jab, go out, start enjoying gigs again, start putting money back into the the economy to kind of get the ball rolling. So it's interesting now that when the options are starting to come through, that there's we're we're seeing that um that conflict really start to become public, and I feel like that's a really important discussion to have because it's like, well, where do we go from here? If not, then like, what's the alternative? It also leaves a bit of a gap for like you know, there's a Sydney Maya Music Bowl in most cities in mm-hmm. across America. Like there's there's some alternative, but that's like if you're swapping out like a theatre for an outdoor amphitheater it makes sense but obviously for like a smaller band who's yeah. doing a smaller venue who doesn't have like the um production of like a an equal sized outdoor venue obviously that is not as easy so it kind of like that gets that gets a bit harder so totally how did you go um touring new zealand recently it was great i I, I hadn't played in a year and a half and then I, I went there and I did a solo tour. So first of all, you know, I'd been in Melbourne for the for the year and a half, so it was kind of I'd I'd spent a lot of time alone and a lot yeah. of time washing my hands and being very, very the yeah. safest um kind of um paranoid person I could be. <laughs> and then um, you know, New Zealand um had been case free for a while, so they were quite yeah. open and it was it was it was strange to be there, you know, to not have a mask and to to be mm. doing things kind of normally and the shows were um the shows were kind of normal, but it was I mean it was really special for me because it was I was playing a few new songs and I hadn't played in so long. I had this mm. newfound kind of whole new level of gratitude for playing live mm. and you know connecting with a real audience and so it was really special. But it was definitely a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it could serve as a reminder, right, like mm. of mm. of what it could be like when you're at that peak of enjoyment of the craft, you know. So expand that out. I can only imagine what it will be like to to do, a, you know, your first proper 
international jaunt again, which, you know, fingers crossed, mm. you'll be able to carry out in, in full glory mm. soon. Is it fair to say, too, Quat, you're a bit of a road dog? Like, you like touring and just, like, <laughs> being having that wonderlust of, of waking up in a new city every second day? Yeah, I'm, it's pretty – it's it's a pretty magical thing, I think. Um, it's It's a weird – I think sometimes – Maybe I just kind of kept going and didn't take too much stock, and so slowing down and and just considering that the kind of life I've been leading for the last five years was um yeah I mean it's a real what a incredible life to be able to travel the world, get on a stage, and play my own songs to people. It's really um definitely you know it's a real privilege to be able to do that. So yeah, even. You know, in the quiet moments of last year, being at home, being like, oh, wow, I would give anything to be bored backstage <laughs> at a festival now, like yeah. complaining about something. With a sexist engineer um, coming yeah. up going, <laughs> <"Yeah>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mansplaining yeah. to me about my in-ears and, <laughs> yeah, all the good stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's I think it's important to be able to acknowledge those moments and remember how, like, lucky you are for – for for things like that mm. and then you 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 realize when when they're not there yeah mm. yeah i'm uh, i'm curious you're supporting the fooies in the uk is that right yeah just yeah two shows so okay. killer yeah that's great and they're they're asking for everybody you know to her to show that they're vaccinated as well mm-hmm. um i think yeah I'm, I'm super curious as to whether there's going to be pushback whether it's by genre and sort of by fan base whether certain like Say Ziggy Alberts uh, is a Byron Bay singer-songwriter. He's done really well. He's super popular, but he sort of put out the anti-masks and, and to an extent, uh, sort of 5G and anti-vax uh, sort of statement mm. about 401 days ago, which um, I'm sort of very much uh, encouraging him to sort of speak up and, you know, do something good for all of us at the moment, which I, which I think he really owes us. So I'm sort of very curious to see how that's going to play out for certain artists whose fan bases are perhaps in the more sort of namaste essential oils world uh, <laughs> <laughs> then you know okay i've i've done my own research and i know what's going on and yeah i probably should get it should get vaccinated uh, mm. i'm also super curious as to like, mainly we're speaking right now i guess to a lot of the east coast of australia and queensland and new south wales have got better weather so they're going to have more sort of outdoor mm. shows that are going to go well than perhaps melbourne yeah i mean mm. in, in terms of your tours Court, I reckon you, you haven't done a, a, a music bowl yet, and I'm, I'm guessing that that could that's there would have been talk about you know could be the next step for you to do a music bowl in New South Wales and Sydney. Was it is it Centennial Park? Is is the sort of the domain? Yeah, the domain, and then oh, yeah, in Brizzy, yeah. in Brizzy, it's the it's got the river in the title, River Stage. Yeah, River, river stage. stage. So is is that oh, something yeah. you, you'd be looking I did at that doing? One with- Paul Kelly, I don't even know yet, but um, they're definitely options. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. With then we become re- uh, restrained by weather, and yeah. But I guess that's that's life, though. Yeah, like yeah. that's yeah. that's being safe. Like I just saw the other day, Patty Smith had a show in um, was it Prospect Park or somewhere in New York, mm. and that got that got it got weathered. completely rained out. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, you know, we're so lucky to have music and and all that stuff, but when it's just unsafe, then I, yeah. you know, mm. what can you do? It's like that, um, that Paul Kelly gig at the bowl a couple of years ago. Yeah. The <laughs> gig that got completely rained down. I'm like, that's got to be a hazard at some point. Like, yeah. When you've got stacks just like floating in the bowl. Yeah. 
It's so like I've been I've I've been side stage at festivals, you know, going on as the next band. Everyone's looking at the stage going that is unsafe. Like it's raining, <laughs> rain is coming onto the stage, it's lightning, thunder, like who's going to who pulls the plug? And when it's such a big operation, it's like whose job is it to, yeah. you know, pull that plug and then it's like it would it's such a scary call, but it's like you got to keep yeah, everyone safe. What's the scariest moment you've had at an outdoor stage, Court? Um, I'm thinking of that festival, whatever it was, and also um, Red Rocks in um, Colorado. Colorado, yeah, that's it. And um, I did a show there with my band. We opened for um, it was Spoon and the Decemberists, and we were on first. And the the sky was was closing in. I think towards the end of our set, it started sprinkling, and then it just fully opened up. There's no cover there either, so people just yeah, had to go yeah. and sit in their cars for two hours. <laughs> and I, I think the Decemberists end, ended up playing like two hours later, and but it was just, wow. yeah. It'd be, I imagine as a touring musician, constantly building yourself up for something that's going to be the best gig of your life and perhaps being disappointed <laughs> and, then, and then the other ones that become these amazing gigs that you weren't sort of like so revved up. It would happen a lot, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, in with all kinds of performances. Yeah, definitely. And that's like, I think a nice reminder as the years go on of just like being open to those moments, like never yeah. close yourself off to any, anything because the, the strangest things happen in the, the moments where you least expect it. Very good. For sure. Which is how, which is how we wound up with Woodstock 99. <laughs> <laughs> Poetry, baby. Poetry. Oh, man. Hey, here's a little bit of music. It's here different. Coming up, more of this shit. <laughs> Friends, following Jack Rivers' successful call for more Australian music to be used in broadcast, there's now a push for hashtag hold Aussie music. Petition has begun for basically lots and lots and lots more Aussie music on hold instead of the crap we basically have to put up with it at the moment. This is from Dan Cribb's piece in the music. How many hours of your life have you wasted sitting on the phone listening to a generic and annoying on hold music? Or you wait for a customer service rep to get your call. The good news is there's a movement underway rallying for big businesses to replace those monotonous tunes with Aussie music. As the campaign begins to pick up traction, three hashtags across the industry, we're here to answer all your questions about the hashtag hold music initiative. So I'm going to say this straight up. It's a bit of a slow news week that this led, okay? I think it, a lot of it was to do with the fact that Jack River and all the advocacy behind that, which was APRA, AAM, which is the Association of Artist Managers, PPCA, ARIA, Music Victoria, that all been pushing, pushing, pushing. And I think Jack River was sort of the icing on the cake to get that over the line and, and have broadcasts really sort of go hard and um, for 24 hours play nothing but Australian music. I think that was on Channel 7. And certainly while the Olympics were on as well, that was, that was a fantastic thing to happen. Um, I had a chat with Chris O'Neill last night, friend of all of us. He's the senior manager of national engagement for APRA. And uh, he basically was saying it's a great opportunity to have local content heard. Whole music only takes up, I think it accounts for 0.03% of actual sort of streaming, you know, like uh, music that gets listened to over the course of a year. So it's it's definitely a good thing, but I think we can kind of all agree financially it's not so great and would be better off sort of um, seeing music used in other ways People streaming it obviously would, would be better financially. And this is kind of a reminder too that people can view, artists can view what music is being streamed at the back end of streaming services. So, you know, we all know this and also broadcasters a country mile ahead of music on hold financially for artists. 
Quad, if you had your music used in campaigns, I'm sure you had some some odd approaches over the years. And yes, just tell us about those decisions around whether you want to, you know, use have your music used and, and what sort of goes into that. Definitely. I think, you know, in my early kind of learning about the music industry years, it was kind of this softly spoken idea that it was a bit of a sellout move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's so old-fashioned now because as, as I kind of have just made my way through the industry, just realized that I guess lots of non-music industry people don't realize that like a lot of musicians' incomes come from syncs and from Big time. Film, yeah. film and television and whatever it is. I guess I can be kind of picky at w- where my music ends up, but I always try to support like, you know, independent film and mm-hmm. I don't know, I have, I guess I have my kind of personal checklist of things I do and don't want to be involved with, but um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an income stream. It's like mm. anything else. It's live performance, CDs and streaming and syncs. It's all, it's all part of yeah. it. Do you have an example of something that you said, you said yes to that maybe we wouldn't be aware of or maybe you'd be like, oh, of course. Honestly, can't think of anything. Like I just, my mind is blank. All I can think of is film and television, which always excites me because I love film and television. Mm. So I'm like, oh, my God, this show looks like it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see like if, if your music does get synced to, say, like a film or television show, to see how a producer has interpreted that piece of music in their head to how it would fit in a particular scene it's just like oh wow that's almost got it gives it added brevity or like a different sort of take on it that's cool yeah definitely definitely lots of um my music always seems to be playing in bars yeah in tv shows (laughs) Classic, uh, classic move i guess actually one of the i guess one thing which maybe isn't a sync but it's a something i mean i was asked to do a a cover of an in excess song for a iPhone ad that was promoting I think it was around the time of the um same sex uh marriage Pleb- plebiscite gotcha. plebiscite plebiscite maybe it was around the time of or just after I think it was maybe mm-hmm. celebrating the um outcome um so that yep. was I mean that's one thing that I normally maybe would not jump at doing but I kind of thought it was a positive um Totally. What was the song? You know, uh, Never Tear Us Apart. Yeah, gorgeous. Wow. Yeah. It's sort of, that's a kind gorgeous. of an uncoverable song, but I do recall hearing you sing that. <laughs> yeah. Well done, you. Yeah. The biggest moves this week in that world, my friends, as I move into a radio announcer voice, a Tones and I song, <laughs> Fly Away, on the Qantas ad has been massive. And good on Qantas for reading the room a lot quicker than, say, Ziggy Alberts with a pro-vaccine ad reminding us what we need to do so we can all, you know, fly around the world and, yeah, actually sort of have lives that extend beyond Australia. Um, but that that's a really a huge thing for, for Tones and I. And um, a side note, <laughs> this, is, this is vaguely interesting, so I'm going to throw this at you. The happiest person I think I've ever seen, guys, uh, was on a Caulfield line, on a Caulfield train going into the city, and he was listening to Fly Away by Lenny Kravitz. On repeat, he listened to it six times in a row, this sort of Aussie-Italian wow. dude, and he had like a fade and he had like an eyebrow uh, channel. And I just remember looking at him. And after the second time, I was like, oh, well, he's going for it again. And after the third time, I was like, I am digging this guy's vibe. I'm like, will he go again? <laughs> Fourth time. <clears throat> and he's just like nodding and he's getting six times in a row, Lenny Kravitz fly away. And by the end of it, I was like, 
I'm I'm want to join this guy's fan club. This is a great human <laughs> having you know before living his best life as a saying. This is 25 years ago, so yeah, I just thought it was a nice. Uh, was he listening to it like without the headphones? In? No, he had the headphones. Was it in. just on he, a loop on the train? He, he was cr- he was cr- <laughs> he was cranking it so hard in his little. It was a Walkman. It was like a Discman. Oh wow! Yeah, we're talking Discman era, and he was pumping okay. it. And I'm talking like Luna Park ear to ear grin. And yeah, uh, I think like like Courtney's doing now for our listeners at home. Um, I'll give you a little scoop too. The Australian music industry has a pro vaccine ad directed and kind of steered by Russell Howcroft from from Gruen and Russell from you know Three AW launching uh, launching early September. And they've asked a whole bunch of labels to mm. sort of throw in some money. Do you, have you heard about this court? Do you have anything to do with this? No. Yeah. No. But how exciting! So that's going to be very good thing that hopefully can just push those extra people who are still somehow on the fence um and if you obviously yeah. if, you, if you have problems getting vaccinated health wise we're not we're not talking to you we wish you uh, all the best but um it's super important so we can uh yeah we can do all of this and also um hashtag hold Aussie music what an initiative get behind it <laughs> <laughs> says try not to be condescending right after the break my friends we're going to be talking to the one and only chutney buttnet I give a little plug here. If there's if there's something we should be covering on the show, hit us up. Uh, I will say this: if we take your feedback, apparently I was doing this too much. I was clapping into the mic, so I don't do that anymore. Uh, also, last week it sounded like I was an undergraduate student talking uh, underwater. I was using a my iPhone at home. I'm sorry. This week I'm using um a very sexy microphone. Here we go. ASMR. All right. friends we've arrived at the main course it is none other than our friend Courtney Barnett someone who we've very much enjoyed watching rise and rise and rise and rise and rise and still on the up third record it kind of has the feeling at the moment court that you can do anything you know what I mean I feel like that after the second album it just sort of like you just sort of laid all your your cards out and were like all right whatever I'm going to do now it's going to be pretty damn special um so when did you Sort of, uh, yeah, tell us about how the identity of this album, Things Take Time, Take Time, evolved. And I know you sort of scrapped some, maybe, maybe, are you doing some stuff with Anna Laverty? And I spoke to her and she, and she was like, oh, I'm doing some recording with Courtney. She's in a really great headspace. She's feeling so good. And then I know that Stella, um, how do you say Stella's last name? Uh, Mosgawa. Mosgawa, Stella Mosgawa, um, helped produce this album. So perhaps. Freaking legend. Yeah, Ugh, it came along. And Stella's. Stella's done a whole bunch of work with Warpaint, Kate LeBond, Kurt Vile. Yeah, it's just a, a really bloody good human. So tell us about, yeah, how the identity of the album evolved. I guess I've been kind of tinkering at it the last few years, you know, on and off. And then um, at the end of 2019, I, I feel like is when the songs started to take shape. And then 2020, I got I got back to Melbourne and was in the flat by myself and just writing, 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 writing. So the album, I feel like it really kind of took shape in that time and um obviously melbourne was in lockdown so i kind of didn't make plans for recording or couldn't really i was kind of playing it by ear and then i had been talking to stella we'd been kind of i'd been asking her advice on drum machines and kind of tech tech advice on home recording and i was getting her advice on um like producers and engineers and kind of thinking about my album and then and I kind of secretly wanted had wanted to work with her again since we worked together on the um on the Kurt Vile album mm-hmm. a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um 
Yeah, it was a bit of a kind of drawn out process, I guess, which went with the time of the year. And um, sure. when lockdown lifted, I went up to Castle, Maine, because uh, my band live up there, and we and we just done something with Anna, and I love Anna, and we had a couple of days in the studio, did a few versions of some of my new songs, and then I went to Sydney to mm. see some family. Mm-hmm. Ended up. I wanted to do some more recording, so I kind of it was this kind of backwards this backwards like situation of I just was kind of booking studio time with the intention in the back of my mind that I was making an album, but not really like you know going in there guns blazing. Yeah. So I booked a couple of days in a Sydney studio. I was just going to do some like guitar and drum machine stuff and. And then ended up taking Stella and we kind of, we did a few days and we just tracked all these songs with all these instruments. We both just swapped instruments and it was so different and just so exciting. So we kind of kept mm. kept going with that effort. And then we actually kind of got s- – there was another Melbourne lockdown so we had to stay in New South Wales for longer mm-hmm. and then we – booked more studio time and finished the album and so it was a bit of an adventure yeah um a little bit a little bit kind of set out by circumstance but I tried my best to kind of in the last year and a half to just stay open to whatever Mm. situation arose and um so yeah that's the very long kind of winded story that's what we're here for that's good (laughs) yeah does that feel like a kind of a, a, a serendipitous energy around okay well we have to do this whole thing in these studios let's go yeah you know after the the um the the first sydney session because we didn't redo the songs that i'd done with anna because i kind of had the intention of piecing it all together you know just different songs from different studios but i thought it would still sound fine like it still sound like an album Mm -hmm. when i kind of got a bit further down the track i just realized it you know it was different it just sounded different and it didn't sound sure. like the same album. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe maybe one day we can release those mm. Castle Main sessions because they sound cool. I mean, Anna's yeah. awesome. The band was awesome. Yeah. Um, There'd be an appetite for but, it as well. Yeah. You know? Oh, so, 100%. We'll see. To take it back a, a second too, I remember when you did Elevator Operator and Nico Byrne, who uh, tells a great story about this, you know, the label wanted you to re-record it and it was sort of like I think they just – put a whole bunch of different production on it and, you know, sort of jazzed it up and zhuzhed it up and made it a much fuller song um, from, your, from your debut album. And then it came back to you and I think you just went, no, nah, I really like the original. And then <laughs> Nick had to call the people in in London, et cetera, and say, and I remember Nick saying, are you sitting down? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Connie just really prefers the first one. You know, you've got that vision and it does. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad you stuck to your guns then because it's a really economical sound. It's a, not a big, like, all guns blazing start to, to that to that record to, to sometimes. And, you know, you, you had this idea in your head of like, no, I, I don't want the bells and whistles on this one. I just want, you know, the narrative to speak for itself. It's an amazing stream of consciousness. But I, I, I also think that's kind of, that's, that's a quality that's stayed so strong through all of your records. And we hear it a lot on this record too. Um, this, this way of storytelling that I feel has become such a signature sound of yours. And it's what's endeared your music to so many, to so many different fans in different demographics as well. And I feel that was a real treat for me listening to this record because it's like, 
if you've been with Courtney Barnett's music from the first record, you're you're not isolated. But if you're coming to it for the first time, it's it does feel like such an organic progression, if that makes sense. Which is wild to think that, you know, it's been made in this spirit of just following like whatever sort of creative situation that you're in at the time as opposed to, you know, I'm going to record it here and we're going to do it here and it's going to be great. It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. I think I can be so indecisive and it can be such a, like such a curse. Sometimes it just, when you're just so struck that you just kind of stand still and you can't move forward. Mm -hmm. I think over the years I've tried to get better at just trusting my gut. And I think with, you know, music making, I mean, there's so many, when there's so many people involved, of course, it's natural that there's going to be so many different opinions and it's not even Mm -hmm. that one is right and one is wrong or anything like everyone we all just have different opinions of music and different that different like perception of how how it should exist and how mm-hmm. like how the how the song should exist and what it should say and i think sometimes it's just like i just have had to get better at like trusting myself that i i know what i like and mm. um and try to try to roll with that and just remembering yeah. that like a song is a song and it's going to exist forever and it will be re-recorded and, and played live and yep. covered and all those things. And it's like at the end of the day, the song is the most important thing. And if it if the song is right and has the right intention and the right kind of energy behind it, then, um, you know, it, the the recording process is just one, one kind of small part of it. It's one element of it, yeah. We'll get more into things take time, take time in a second. Uh, I want to go first impressions though, first court, when I heard you sing, uh, I masturbated to the songs you wrote. There's this like cool <laughs> confidence to it. I remember being slapped sort of upside the head listening to Triple R when I'm like, well, this, who's this? <laughs> and, uh, Sos has a story about her first impression of you, which, which echoes about, you know, how your music speaks to people. I first saw you play in America. Which is kind of talking about like backwards ways of doing things. Um, like I first was properly introduced to you in Chicago. <clears throat> I just landed to cover Lollapalooza, uh, in 2014. You were playing at Schubert's iconic oh, venue. Uh huh. And I was wiped from the flight. I literally <laughs> got off the plane from LA, had time to drop my luggage off. And then I went straight to the venue. So I was cooked and I get there and there's people like spilling out onto the street. And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to get into this venue? Like, this is, like, it's, it's really, it's, it's hard. It's, it was a hard time. Get into the venue, managed to like crawl my way into the bat. You were already performing. And I was just like, this is an Australian artist who I've only, I'd only heard singles at that point doing her thing. And the crowd was going insane. And it was really interesting to see. Again, just to be introduced to an Australian artist in an, like, in a totally foreign sort of crowd and seeing how they were reacting to it. I was talking to these, like, essentially these college dudes who'd, who'd come down for it and they heard my accent and they're just like, Oh, like, you must be so proud. You must be so proud. And I was just like, I mean, I guess so. Um, but they're like, have you heard of her before? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just like, oh, like, and they were like Courtney Barnett, like aficionados at that point, which was, was so bizarre to me. They're like standing there with like their double parking beers. 
just loving it, fanning out. And they're just like, Courtney's the truth, bro. Like, <laughs> Courtney Barnett, bro. Like, go see Courtney's her at the, the festival. Truth. She's she's the truth. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. And that's wow. how it was sold to me. And I'll never forget that because I was just like, there's something here in this music that, you know, for me and, again, for a lot of Australian fans that has such a um, – like a tangible connection to experiences that we've had over here and to see how that was translating, um, you know, to an American crowd was absolutely incredible. It was hilarious, but <laughs> yeah, it spun me out. I was just like, okay. I love okay that story. <laughs> oh, that's good. But also it was a killer venue. Yeah. That venue yeah, is dope. I like that place. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got sort of so things cool. in place now, Court, where you can absorb a compliment and sort of keep a force field as well? Yeah. I think I I've I think I've gotten better at the um I think I used to I mean I I think oh my god, it's such a deep psychological dive to even like <laughs> that that is the top mm. of a of a big um you know, the question, the start of a big topic. But mm. yeah, I think that that's been a big journey for me over the years of just like learning how to for example, take a compliment and just like taking myself out of the situation, mm-hmm. taking the ego out of the situation and being like mm. it's actually in that moment, strangely enough, it's not even about me. It's about yeah. someone else wanting to say something, you know, it's it's their own kind of story and their own projection or their own um, their own experience. So, yeah, I guess, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember speaking to Sally Saltman and Feist had kind of given her some um, some tips on how to do that, about how to, you know, just like politely sort of absorb a compliment and be very gracious and sort of, you know, move along and have that nice distance, you know, sure. not to be aloof, but a, a nice sort of distance because it is like, and I mean, you went through it a few years ago. You, I mean, I look at you, Court, and think you've been through a fucking lot in terms of just like, this is our opinion of you. And you're like, well, I don't really want all of your opinions at, at the same time. Um, it kind of goes back to that great, uh, it's a great quote and it's, um, what other people think of you is none of your business. It's a cool thing to try and remember. It's not always easy, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's dope. It's dope. Yeah. It's a good one. I want to ask about, uh, choosing, uh, Ray Street as the thing that kicks off this record because it's, it's like a low key banger. Like it's a real, like, oh no, you'll get this. If you don't get it on the second listen, you'll get it on the fourth listen, I think. Yeah. I, I'm intrigued. A friend texted me the other day and and just um kind of said to me this song is about this and I said is it okay is it like is it? I didn't I didn't want to say no it's not because um I love that you know people are allowed their own projections of totally and their own interpretations of music and to me I mean I'm just part of me is curious at what everyone thinks that song is about or what not what it's about but what they take out of it um but I guess that's what's so fun about music. Like everyone takes something different. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That song just seemed, it seemed like the, I kept coming back to it. And when I was doing the track listing, it always kind of ended up back at number one. It just kind of seemed, it seemed like a nice welcome to the album. It's, it's quite yeah, kind I of agree. warm and welcoming and yeah, it's all of those things. It's a nice way to kick off the journey. How, because, yeah, I I looked at the tour bill and it's just like back-to-back incredible artists in their own different ways. You know, I mean, obviously, Warpaint, 
fucking amazing. Julia Jacqueline in her own league. Then you've got like Shamir. You've got like it's in all their different ways. They're all so individual, but it makes sense. Um, what was it like for you to, you know, finally be able to bring all these people together for a tour? Like, what is a tour? A multi-act tour? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, I'm so lucky to be able to, like, I've always um, felt so lucky, you know, to choose, you know, you go on tour and choose the bands that you want to take out and that you want to see every night. And like, I I love their music. And most of them, you know, a lot of them couldn't do all the dates. So it's kind of, sure. you know, one person can do half and etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel so lucky. Like, I, I, I love them all. I love their music. And it's just so... It's just fun to be able to tour with a band that you that you really admire, and it feels like you're doing Julia yeah. Jacqueline a solid as well. And that, you know, like everyone loves Julia. Everyone wants Julia to go to that next, sort of next level where the whole world knows about her. And I think by you sort of saying mm-hmm. "come this way," I think it's a real cool thing to, uh, yeah, it's a real sort of gracious kind of act. She's great. She's so funny. Mm. Oh yeah. She's a ripper, She's awesome. She? <laughs> very, very funny. <laughs> yeah. And Shamir as well. How did you come across Shamir? Because that first record blew my head off and I sort of know Shamir a bit now. Gee, we've known each other for years just through festivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we were always doing the same festivals and we'd always see each other backstage. And I guess I have some of those strange friendships of like you only see, you might see each other once a year or, you know, yeah. every few months at a festival. It's just a nice, a nice connection. Yeah. Yeah. Before we jump into bonus, any little uh, lockdown strategies, sort of a fitness regime, any tips for the viewers at home who who look up to you? Eating healthy. I did so much cooking over the last year. Eating healthy, stretchy, med- stretching. St- stretchy meditation. <laughs> um, stretchy. <laughs> stretchy <laughs> meditation. <laughs> meditation, definitely. Um, yeah, walking. I did a lot of walking as well. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Awesome. I, I interviewed you a few years ago and you just got into running. And, you know, Corny Barnett in active wear, you know, what a sentence. Uh, <laughs> I think initially you were running down the street, like sort of in a band t-shirt and jeans. And I think perhaps <laughs> Katie Vesgrave, your manager, was like, you should probably, you know, wear sort of Jimmy kind of clothes to do that. So do you, are you going running or just walking or, you know, whatever works for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if running's my thing. Walking, I, I like. Yeah. Nietzsche said all truly great thoughts come from walking. He also said never trust the thought you had inside. So yeah, mm. there you go. Yeah, hey, there let's let's uh, let's wind this sucker up. Thanks so much, Court. We're going to get into a bonus episode shortly, my friends. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. God, that was a <laughs> that was a vibe. Thank you so much for listening. That was a vibe. Share the show with a Courtney Barnett fan or friend, or even someone who's like hmm, maybe Courtney Barnett adjacent and has never really got into her. This is the time, man. This record is hot, the hot. If you'd like to hear the bonus episode with Courtney Barnett right now about the music that hit different, including Dave Brubeck, sure, Dave Brubeck. Instead of Thursday, please support our music journalism and podcast by becoming a subscriber to Mushroom Studios. Access four dollars a month, ad-free, early access to all Mushroom podcasts. Find the link in the show notes. Now, uh, it's the best way to keep us doing what we do. Thanks again to Remote Control and Lookout Kid for the uh, amazing time we got with Corny. An hour and 20 minutes. That's a long time for a person who, you know, the whole world is sort of tugging at her coattails, plectrums. 
greatness. Check out other shows from Mushroom, some of my best work with Jane Rocker, 180 Grams with me and the Teskey Brothers, and One Guitarra, a new one that's an absolute belter. Very special project hosted by Alex Gao. Be well. Love you lots. See you next week.